good that you're here, and I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, welcome to Celebrate Church. Uh, we're so thankful that you've joined us today. Um, we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit over the last several weeks, and today uh, we want to answer the question. Last week, well, let me start by saying this. We discovered who the Holy Spirit is in our first week, that he is our friend and he is not weird. Yes. Amen. And then we discovered more about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and then last week, we talked about, is he Pentecostal? <laughs> Which is really funny, because I just imagine the Holy Spirit with his hair in a bun. I'm just kidding. If you missed that message, you should go back and listen to it. Um, and you can always listen online on our website at celebratepeople.org, um, because we, we want you to be uh, staying up to date uh, with the messages that are in the series. But today, in our fourth message, we ask another obvious question, which is, is he charismatic? Now, Charismatic might be something that we define culturally different than what the Bible actually talks about, what charisma is. And so I want us to set aside the cultural understanding of what a charismatic Christian is and look at what the word really says about this. Um, I think if I were to poll the audience and ask you today and say, what is defined as a charismatic, you would say a showy person, demonstrative, somebody who lifts their hands in church, uh, the, you know, maybe something like that, or maybe it's a service where maybe they um, have some spontaneous things that happen in their service. Um, and so we want to talk about really what it looks like, according to scripture, to be charismatic. Charisma is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a spiritual gift for the building up of others. That's really what charisma is. It is the instantaneous, just like that, enablement of the Holy Spirit to be able to demonstrate a gift or, or to be able to exercise a gift. Any believer has the ability to do this according to the word of God, and it's for the building up or the edification of others, never for the tearing down, never for the judging of others, never for anything of that sort. It is for the building up of the body of Christ and the enlargement or the increase of the body of Christ. Because when we see these spiritual gifts, and we'll talk about what those gifts are, they're listed in 1 Corinthians today. When we look at that list of gifts, we'll come to a better understanding of what really charismatic looks like or means, but also we should understand God's desire is it has always been that none should perish, but that every, every single person would accept and be eternally saved and walk into his kingdom, be part of his family. So these gifts are given to the body of Christ because how many of you have ever had a bad day? Raise your hand. Because you need encouragement. You need the building up of your faith. I was built up this morning by singing songs, some of which I had to convince myself Lord, I've seen you move a mountain, but I, I've got a mountain right now, and I hope you move this one too, because we take time in his presence to lift our spirits as we lift him up. And so when we're together in the body of Christ, there's this enabling of the Holy Spirit that comes into play to help us to be lifted up. The Greek word charis means gift, or grace, I'm sorry. And the suffix ma, ma, not like your ma or your grandma, okay? But maybe they are a gift, right? So ma in the Greek means gift. So it literally means grace gifted. So in that case, every believer 
is charismatic. So if we're looking at what scripture actually says about what charismatic looks like, then we should come to understand that charismatic really is for every believer. Now, you've probably heard it said before, he's a very charismatic leader, right? Or they've got a lot of charisma because we've, we've kind of adopted that word into our English language and we, we don't use it all that often. But when we look at it from a biblical perspective, we're forced to believe and understand that all believers should be grace gifted, right? How many of you have ever felt like you had a day where you lacked God's grace, right? But we have to believe the truth of what God's word says. I'm gonna tell you a story later on in the message. It comes from this book, which I would strongly suggest if you are like me and ever want to have an encouragement in your faith, this book called God's Generals. It's stories of people who have been instrumental in doing some amazing things for God, regular average Joes, plumbers who got saved and became preachers and healed people. It's, it's an incredible, incredible faith-building book. But in this book, there's a man named Smith Wigglesworth, and he was famous for saying this. He would say this all the time. He would say, I don't believe what I hear and what I see. I'm moved by what I believe. Does that make sense? So I'm not moved by the circumstance around me, by what I've heard or what I've seen, but I am moved by the belief that I hold that God is who he says he is. Amen? And so with that kind of faith, there's nothing that can stand in our way. Amen? So the Holy Spirit, this is what's incredible, is a gift from the Father to all believers. We've said that over the last several weeks. He's available to all believers, and he wants to live inside of us, and he is a gift that keeps on giving additional gifts. Now, that's pretty cool. If you ask some students, some teenagers or even kids, what they want for Christmas, you would be surprised at some of their answers. <laughs> but I asked the question recently in one of my classes, and I said, if Christmas was tomorrow, what, and money wasn't an, uh, an issue, there was no problem, no issue whatsoever, what would you want? And someone said, the ability to ask for at least a thousand more things. And I said, wow, yeah, that's a really smart individual. Uh, they aced the test, by the way. Uh, but here's the deal. This is what the Holy Spirit is. Now, I'm not demeaning him by saying that, by giving you that understanding, because he's not a genie in a bottle that will grant additional wishes, but in the sense that he is a gift that keeps on giving, he is limitless in boundary. And he, he only goes where he's allowed to go. You've got to understand this about what charisma is and what being charismatic means. Being grace gifted means that you've allowed and given God permission to invade every area of your life, including your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your tongue. All of those things have got to be living in submission to the Holy Spirit. So undoubtedly, the Holy Spirit is charismatic because he is grace gifted and he's given to us as believers. I wanna share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look at a couple verses today. They'll be on your screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse one says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let me stop here and say this. 
regardless of what's in the Bible, people are still walking around confused at what is in the Bible. The reason is, is because they don't read the Bible, <laughs> okay? So God's word, it, there are some places that are a little complicated, but here's what I'm telling you. Paul the apostle is a writer of scripture anointed by the Holy Spirit to write these words. He writes them to the Corinthian church and he says, now concerning this, I don't want you to be uninformed. Or another version says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not know about this stuff. I want to tell you all about it. Spiritual gifts that are mentioned here. This word, the word spiritual here and gifts together, we can understand is that it's empowered by God. It's from his spirit and his spirit alone. You know, the word spirit in scripture is pneuma. And I think of the word pneumatic, a pneumatic drill. It's air powered. It's supplied by energy from air. A pneumatic drill is powered by that air. And we as God's children should be powered by God's spirit. I think about pneumonia. You might think about that. It's a lack of air power. That's, we have that in our English language, pneumonia. So now concerning spiritual gifts that are powered by the breath of God, another way to say it would be now concerning these gifts that you can only exercise if you allow the Holy Spirit to live and move and power you. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's stationed in another city. I don't know if you understand that about the Bible, but in the epistles or the letters in the New Testament, oftentimes they weren't in the city that they wrote to because they weren't there. They had to send a message, okay? I, I wanna help you understand this. By most accounts, they wrote him a letter and they asked him some questions. So even though we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the truth is there are more Corinthians, okay? So they write a letter to him asking him some questions. He writes a letter to them and then he's explaining things about the gifts. They apparently ask questions about marriage, about divorce, about diet. There's stuff in the Bible about this, about celibacy, about idolatry, about personal freedoms. Like, hey, I saw so-and-so and they said they're a believer, but they were in the market buying meat that's offered to these other gods. What gives? What's up? So they're writing all these questions, questions about worship, questions about spiritual gifts. They had all of these things as well as order in a church service. I'm thankful that our church does things decently and in order. He gives them a prescription of how to do church in 1 Corinthians. He says, listen, there's some chaos going on and there's stuff happening that people don't understand. Y'all have got to get this straight, okay? So he's straightening them out and he says this, concerning these spiritual gifts, and then he launches into this long um, this long discussion or description of what they are. So 1 Corinthians is the response to their questions, but let's always remember that it's the spirit of God that breathed these answers into Paul to be able to write them down. It's God's enablement that allowed Paul to be a writer who is now considered in the Bible as an author, even though we believe God to be the one sole true author. 
So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 7 through 11. It says this, To each is given the manifestation, or another word there would be demonstration, of the Spirit for the common good. Everybody say common. common. Good. For the common good. So for everyone. Verse 8, it says this, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, or what we would call the word of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, or the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who distributes or apportions to each one individually as he chooses, as he wills. So the point that Paul is making is there are spiritual gifts. Here's a, here's a good example or a good sample, we could say, of those spiritual gifts. He just lists them out for us. And then he says this, he says, now about those spiritual gifts, they all come from the same place and they're all from God. You'll notice all throughout there, S is capitalized. S is capitalized because it's deified in scripture. The Holy Spirit is who God is. And so he says, it's God's spirit who gives these as he chooses. So they're not owned by the person. They're owned by the Holy Spirit. The person gets to use those gifts as the Holy Spirit gives him the ability or her the ability. Now, we call them a manifestation gift or a demonstration gift. And the reason why we say that is because they demonstrate God's power. I'm going to explain to you what each one of these means and give you a little example for each one. But he distributes each one for the profit, say profit for the profit or the benefit of all. So many theologians break this, this listing, there's nine here in that passage, into three categories. And I'm gonna do the same today and I'm gonna walk you through what each one of those means because they're available to you. You ought to know what's in God's word. I have been the recipient of several people who have had a gift that's mentioned here, who have shared it in demonstrating God's power, and I have witnessed it or been the beneficiary myself. I can attest by personal encounter that God is real. I've seen him move, and I want to see him move in my life even more so than ever before. I wanna see him move in our church more than ever before. Some of the crazy wild stuff from the 80s and 90s had a little bit of good and a lot of bit of weird. Some of the stuff that happened in the 2000s, which we're still in for the next 80, 70 something years, uh, we, they, it can be a little bit weird. But here's the deal, God isn't weird. He has gifts that he wants to give to you to benefit you and everyone around you. 
So let's look at what those gifts are. Some of you in this room may already have one of these gifts. I believe that we can seek these gifts and ask the Holy Spirit for help in order to have these gifts, but I wanna explain what they are. The first category of gifts would be the discerning gifts. Now, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits, all three of those are in this same category. The word of knowledge would be this. I want you to hear me very clearly. The word of knowledge would be knowing something specific without having learned it naturally. God's spirit drops something into Mandy's heart and into her mind, something that she does not know, did not know before she had that thought from God. And then she's able to share that with me. And that helps me understand God is using someone to direct me and to help me. I've had this happen. I had it happen when I was in college. I had someone who I'd never met and never seen since a day in my life. I was going through something very difficult at the time. And I remember this person coming at the end of the service during worship, coming like a beeline straight over to where I was and said, I wanna tell you that God just spoke to me. And he said, fill in the blanks. He told me this stuff. And I'm standing there and I'm listening to this person and I couldn't help but tremble. I've never met this person. How do they know this detail about my life? It's because God was using that person to then encourage me, build me up in my faith. And in that moment, I'm telling you, I got charged up by the pneuma, by the spirit of God to be able to say, okay, I'm headed in the right direction and this is what I need to do. Now, Human wisdom is different from God's wisdom. If I were to go to Mandy and say, Mandy, what do you think about this? Can you give me some input? That would be her human wisdom, right? But this is something completely different. It's knowing something specific without having learned it by natural means. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit and he had the word of knowledge evident in his life. Think about the woman at the well in John chapter four. Jesus says to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you don't. He wasn't a scam artist. He wasn't fishing for details. He was telling her what he knew. He said, you've had five and the one you're with now is not your husband. So yeah, you better go get him. So she says, well, I perceive you are a prophet. Yeah, I would think so. If someone says something to you that they shouldn't have known or had no ability to know, but they do, then yes, I think that person is being used by God. So she, in that moment, that actually, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in that moment through Jesus' life is what drew her in. It's what truly saved her. It's what helped seal the deal in her life. In fact, if you read John chapter four, it's really incredible that she runs back and she doesn't just get the man that she's living with. She gets people from the town and Samaria has some details. We'll talk about some other time, but it's incredible to know that the Samaritan city that she was in come running down and many were saved that day because of Jesus using the Holy Spirit's power in the word of knowledge to be able to tell her a detail about her life. People may say, well, he was Jesus, he's God. He was still having to submit himself to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The truth is he was a man and he was fully dependent on the Spirit's work. In fact, 
he was fully dependent on the Spirit's work means that I'm probably not as fully dependent on the Spirit's work. I've got some work to do. Amen? No, don't say amen, my wife in the front row. We all have some work to do. So he goes out of the wilderness, Jesus out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He's baptized by John and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and remains, it says. He then casts out demons by the power of the Spirit of God. This is not for the tearing down or issuing of judgment. I already said that a moment ago. But when we have the word of knowledge, it is to say God's word directly to that person and to leave it at that. If we start intermingling all the stuff that we think they should do or whatever it is, then that becomes, it becomes less valid, if you want to put it like that. And then God's spirit isn't able to tug at that person's heart. I'm thankful for the person in college that reached out to me and came and said that. And that's all they did. They said those words and they said, that's all I know he told me. And they turned and walked away. And I thought, Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go in this direction. That's a powerful thing because it's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this gift is for the profit of all and someone's gotta have it. If you, as we go through this list today, realize and say, you know what, pastor, I don't think I have any of these spiritual gifts, then maybe you should pray for that gift. In fact, Paul says, you should desire spiritual gifts. I desire all of these. I don't know that the Holy Spirit will give all of them to me. And there might be momentary things where I have a word of knowledge. I'm just keep using Mandy. I have a word of knowledge for Mandy, but I don't have that gift as a permanent fixture in my life. It might be that the Holy Spirit allow, I allowed the Holy Spirit to use me in that moment. But then after that, the Holy Spirit's using somebody else. So I've got to think about it in terms like this. The next one is the word of wisdom. I encourage you to write down those references, take notes and go back and look at them. The word of wisdom would be, not, would be a divine answer or solution for a particular event. Knowledge is information, right? And wisdom is how to apply that knowledge. We all need more wisdom, say yes. We all need more wisdom. In John chapter nine, a man is born blind and he receives his sight. Verse 10 says this, therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. It's a quick little testimony. Hey, you asked me how this happened. He spit on the dirt. He made some stuff. He put it up here. He told me to wash it off and now I can see. That's all I know. So the Pharisees show up, though, to start investigating because they're trying to find a, a chink in Jesus's armor, a way to indict him. The story continues in verse 30 of chapter 9, and it says this, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Verse 32 since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
This is a perfect example of what the word of wisdom is. He's sharing it it's for the benefit of those who are hearing. He's saying, God is, he showed up, he healed me, and this is how it happened. And he says, and this is the proof. So here's the knowledge and here's how to apply it. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So they are to walk out of there saying, yes, he is from God because they've heard this man speak only truly by the spirit of God. The third is the discerning of spirits. Now this is where we get into deep water. The discerning of spirits, this means to be made aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. In Acts chapter 16, there's a, a place in scripture that a demon-possessed girl who's also a fortune teller, she is, the story is that she's also a witch. There are many different things that are going on with her life. Verse 16 of chapter 16 says this, now it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul was annoyed. <laughs> uh, pastors can get annoyed. Paul got annoyed, okay? I see it proof in scripture. But Paul got annoyed, greatly annoyed, it says. And he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. This is Paul discerning that the spirit who's in this woman is not of God and should not be there. But you say, wait a second, pastor. She's saying these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation, but she had not given full control of her life to God or else Paul would not have saw the need to do this. So she is walking around and she had made her, her, her masters much money, much profit, the Bible says. And now guess what's gonna happen? She's not gonna make them a dime if that spirit that enabled her previously, listen to me, there's a spiritual world out there. It's existing, it's around us. It's influencing people for bad and for good. I don't mean to be spooky around Halloween season, but this stuff is not just stuff a thousand years, 2000 years ago in the word of God. This is real spiritual life and influence that we can get right now in this moment. Paul sees this woman who he knows to have a spirit that is not of God. And he says to her, says to the spirit, I command you to come out. He goes out, but guess what? Now she's lost her job. And if you continue to read that story in Acts 16, the whole city gets in an uproar because the guys who were making the money off of her now can't make money off of her. Just to be clear though, when we say the discerning of spirits, this is not what people have termed the gift of discernment. In fact, I'm gonna tell you something that might surprise you. The gift of discernment is nowhere found in scripture. Oh, but pastor, I've got the gift of discernment. I, you might be a discerning person, but scripture never speaks of the gift of discernment. It's never mentioned anywhere. We're supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to train our senses so that we know what's the difference between good and evil, to discern good from bad. We're to be those people. But 
that gift of discernment that people often talk about is what I like to actually call the gift of criticism. All right, we'll go back in the shallow water. It's the gift of criticism that people have when they say, oh no, it's just that I have the the gift of discernment and I just saw that you're a creepy jerk who just, no, 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 no. Maybe you're just the actual jerk who's trying to cause problems and you're criticizing whatever the, the case may be. So this gift that people talk about as being the gift of discernment should be, we should all as believers be discerning, but not all of us have been given the grace gift of the discerning of spirits. So let's not be critical or judgmental. We don't let that happen around here because we say that we all are in need of work, right? And so somebody just got to hold the mirror up to say, okay, yeah, it's me, oh Lord, I'm standing in the need of prayer, because all of us need work. We don't wanna be critical or judgmental of other people and then attempt to validate it by saying, well, I just have the gift of discernment. So moving on back to the shallow. The next category of spiritual gifts, we call the declarative gifts. Declarative meaning to declare, to use your mouth, okay? These are misused, they are misunderstood, and they are mistaken often. The first one that's listed there is prophecy. Prophecy is a message of encouragement from God through a person. Everybody say encouragement. Encouragement. Prophecy is a message of encouragement from God through a person. It's for the edification or exhortation for the comfort. The Bible never says this gift. If you read 1 Corinthians 14, it never says that prophecy should be used for correction. Does God want to use someone through his spirit to correct an issue in the church? Absolutely. But can we say that that is labeled as prophecy? No, we can't. Because here Paul is writing about it and he he lists it out in 1 Corinthians 14, edification, exhortation, and comfort, but it never says the word correction. So the spiritual New Testament gift of prophecy is meant to encourage. Now in the Old Testament, prior to Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming, there were prophets who used by God, they were used by God, I should say, in order to deliver corrective words to the nation of Israel. I want God's word to show up here. If there is present sin, if there is danger, if there are things like that, I want the word to come through someone, if it doesn't come through me, to say, watch out, be careful. I want that. But to understand the New Testament understanding of prophecy, it is that is it, it is an encouragement. 1 Corinthians 14, 31, listen to what he says. For you, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So he's telling, remember what I said, 1 Corinthians, he's telling the church how to have church. And apparently there are a bunch of people all shouting at the same time. And they're all just like overwhelmed by the spirit of God. Well, then people who are sitting there can't hear what the other people are saying because there's too much going on. And he says, so one by one prophesy that all can learn and be encouraged. Don't all go at once. So if you're ever in a service, if you're ever in a time together with believers and you sense God's spirit on you to share a prophecy, if someone else is speaking, you're to wait your turn. 
You say, really? God's that sensible? Yeah. <laughs> he, wants, he wants the word to come. And here's the deal. I've been in services where several words were given out loud and they all were good. I've been in services where there were several words given and one was completely out of order and out of line. There have been people who have used the understanding of the gift of prophecy to deliver their own criticism to the church. We don't tolerate that around here. And I'm glad I was raised in churches that didn't tolerate that. In fact, I'll never forget being in the first service as a teenager where this happened. And I remember the pastor saying from the pulpit, excuse me, ma'am, you are out of order and you need to shut your mouth. And I thought, can he do that? <laughs> uh, because what she was doing, she was a disgruntled person who had been hurt by some people in the church and she was bitter, hadn't been there for years or whatever, showed up and said, God's glory has left this place and you know, spouting off all this junk. And the pastor had to take control of the situation. You say, pastor, that's pretty crazy. That's what Paul is telling them to do. He's saying, you've gotta have this stuff in line with who God is. Listen to me, I say it until I'm blue in the face and you might get it. If it's not backed up principally by the word of God, it isn't God. Principally speaking, I can see things about marriage and relationships, about career, about family, about all sorts of aspects. Every aspect of my life, my finances, everything I can find principles for inside the word of God. So if someone, and in fact, Paul says, if somebody else comes preaching a different gospel, saying something else, don't listen to them. Because we've got to understand it's got to be backed up by the word of God. Okay. The second one, which people are like, ooh, we're going to talk about tongues now. <laughs> tongues. It's a message from God in a, in a language that's unknown to the person who's speaking it. Now, there's much confusion, and I said that earlier, in the body of Christ because people just aren't reading their Bible or diving into it and studying it. But when it comes to tongues, speaking in tongues, there was this old phrase, we don't use it here, but it used to be used, and it's probably still used in a lot of places, that they were speaking in an unknown tongue. According to 1 Corinthians 14, when he starts to talk about this, the language would be unknown by the speaker who's yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit, but someone has got to understand what the the Spirit of God is saying to the church. In fact, he says, if this ever happens, I hope this doesn't offend you, but if you've never heard them, they sound like, he tie my bow tie, she bought a Honda, you know, like that kind of stuff really fast or whatever. That's what they joke about. But if you ever hear somebody say that stuff out loud in a service, you are to wait. This is what scripture tells us. We're to wait patiently for a moment until the interpretation comes for every hearer and the first person that should have that interpretation by God's word and his commandment should be the individual who just spoke. If not, then another person yielded to the Holy Spirit will then give what we would call the interpretation, not the translation. We'll talk about that in just a second, but the interpretation of that unknown language. So this is talking about the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in a group of believers. This section of scripture, I, I, you're, getting, you're getting a big education today, a healthy dose. 
this part of scripture is not about you having a personal prayer language. This is about the public demonstration of what happens in the body of Christ. It is meant in a group of believers. So we believe that all of these gifts are still for today. I've said it and I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit, I can find no expiration date for him in scripture. No point in scripture does it say, and now the Holy Spirit left the earth. Because we talk about God being in the Garden of Eden, walking and talking with Adam and Eve. Sin broke that connection. God begins to use prophets, priests, and even kings in the Old Testament. And then Jesus shows up, a physical, visible representation of God being with us. In fact, his name is God with us. And then he says, but when I go, I'm gonna be gone here in just a minute, but when I go, the Holy Spirit's gonna come because I don't want you to be left as orphans. That's such a powerful thought. You might want God to leave you alone in a certain area of your life, but he doesn't want to leave you alone. He wants all of you. So we believe these gifts are for today. 1 Corinthians 14 gives some boundaries for this gift. We want the unbeliever and the uninformed to come to Christ and to grow in Christ. That's what our church is all about. We want those who are unsaved to find Christ, and we want those who are believers to develop their faith in Christ. Truly, that's the goal of our church. So we've got to understand God's directives or his instructions about these things. And we've always got to remember this. Now, there are some people who have had the experience that I've had. Some of you sitting here today may have Catholic background, Baptist background, all different variations. But I will say this, scripture makes it clear that the spirit of the, the Holy Spirit is subject to the person who is yielded to him. So we have got to remember the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet as well. So I don't just do stuff like a puppet like this without giving God control of me. So don't ever blame God for the weird stuff that somebody did that was out of line or emotional or crazy on a tangent. Don't ever put that on God's side because it's not him, it's that person's flesh. So we've gotta understand the difference there. God does use our emotions, but we are to be led and moved by his spirit and not by our emotions. During worship today, I lift my hands I have a smile on my face most songs and most Sundays because I'm just thankful. I, I'm, I think it's my right to be thankful in, in, in the moment when we're joined together as believers. So I do engage my emotions. I don't look like a dead fish out here. I, I am engaged. I encourage you to be engaged as well because when they look down and they're leading us into God's presence, they, they want to see and experience that same feeling too. But I say that to say that I, I do engage my emotions when we're together. And I don't do that as a show. You can ask my wife. I belt out worship songs in the car. I've lifted my hand in random places, not just to be weird, but you know, if I'm on a walk by myself and I'm just like, Lord, thank you for my, for my life and my wife and my kids and my family. We have to, we are emotional people. Hello? We are emotional people and he wants to use that for his glory. So 
Public messages in tongues are to be accompanied with the interpretation of them. And they belong, that happens in a setting where the majority, if not all, are believers. Verse 13 of chapter 14 says this, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So there's this moment where that utterance has been given and then they stop and they pause and they wait for God to deliver to them the language of the hearers to be able to give that interpretation. That leads us into the second one, interpretation of tongues. Understanding and expressing the thought or the intent of the message that was given. So translation would be word for word, but if you've ever traveled to a foreign country and needed an interpreter, I have, and I've found out that they don't always say what you say. <laughs> Because what we say doesn't sometimes make sense in their culture. I'll never forget, I was in a um, restaurant with a group of youth pastors uh, in Mexico. And I thought, I don't know if you've ever said this phrase, um, but like if you've ever said like scratch that off or scratch that off the list kind of thing. I was talking and someone was interpreting for me in this moment and I ordered the thing that I thought I wanted, but I changed my mind. And so I said, scratch that. And the interpreter looked at me like, I'm not gonna tell this woman what you just said because it doesn't make sense. And I was like, oh, my bad, that's weird. Okay, let's try something else. Take that off the list. I had to change because I was being interpreted. Do you understand the point? So translation is word for word exactly, but we've gotta understand when you're not a native speaker, you need someone to assist you to communicate the message. So when a message for believers is given in tongues, an interpretation of the message for those around is necessary. Verse five of 1 Corinthians 14 says this, Paul declares, and so does your pastor, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification, or building up. So each one of us needs to come to grips with this. It's in the Bible. Paul said it himself by the Spirit of God. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more so, I wish all of you would prophesy because I believe he was getting at the core value of this, which is I wish you would give control to the Holy Spirit in every aspect of your life. That's my heart's desire as well. The last category is called this, the dynamic gifts. The word dynamic here that we use, it's used of the Holy Spirit, and the place we find it is Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word, you shall receive power, is a Greek word that is the word dunamis. It's the word that we get the word dynamite from, okay? Not dynamite. Does anybody remember that? Okay. But dynamite comes from this word dunamis in the Greek, so it's that same word, and here, if you read it in that understanding, verse eight of chapter one in Acts says, but you shall receive dynamite power. Right. You'll receive explosive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Amen. So 
These gifts are important. They are those that would be the burst of power that we're talking about. The first one is this, faith. Daniel chapter five and six talk about the supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. Daniel had the gift of faith, a spiritual gift that was given by God regardless of the circumstances. If we've ever said and owned up to the fact that, yeah, my faith has been shaky or something happened and it shook my faith in God, then we, we are not in the same category as having this spiritual gift of faith that's talked about in Daniel. In fact, this is not the faith in Christ needed for salvation. This is situation, that's a tongue twister. This is situation specific. Mighty faith for a mighty breakthrough in a terrible moment. Daniel chapter six, verse 23 says this. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and he commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Do you remember the story? Out of the lion's den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. Let me tell you, the faith I need for just everyday life is not the same kind of faith that Daniel needed when faced with hungry lions in a den. And he made it out alive and the king is exceedingly glad for him. So here's something interesting that you may not remember or know about Daniel. In chapter five, verse 11 and 12 of chapter five, it says this, listen to it. It says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Daniel had the Holy Spirit. It says this, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Verse 12, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he'll give you the interpretation. Because, and here's a, here's a listing, you could say, of spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Old Testament in the life of Daniel. In this man is found an excellent spirit. There have been moments where he's given knowledge, understanding, interpreted dreams. He was truly a man who was yielded to the Holy Spirit. You can be Daniel, He's not just in the hall of faith so that we can look back and say, wow, I'm so glad you used somebody like that. But for the moment that we face, we can have the faith that Daniel had, that spiritual gift. Supernatural faith can be exercised by those in whom is the spirit of God. The second is this, healing. I'm interested to know, has anyone in this room can you say, I'm not gonna ask you to like tell the story, but can you say by lifting your hand that you have either been healed or witnessed a healing, supernatural? We're not talking about a cough and a cold going away. Okay, there are hands up in this room. My hand is up. I tell the story about Delia Knox. If you wanna look up a YouTube video of her, Delia Knox uh, was crippled as a result of a car accident. She was in a wheelchair for over 22 years, almost 23 years. This is recent history. She was in a service where they broadcast their services and the evangelist who is there, his name's Nathan Morris. 
he goes and feels that the Holy Spirit is asking him to pray for this woman. He prays for this woman, and for the first time in more than 22 years, she walked. She then gets verified by a doctor, and they say, this is not the same woman who visited me two weeks ago and just had her checkup because I've been doing PT with her for the last 15 years, 20 years, whatever, and now she is walking like a normal, able-bodied person. I'm telling you, church, God still wants to show off. He still wants to show himself strong in our lives. He has always been a healer. He will always be a healer. That's not something that he's just like, eh, I'm done with that now. He has wanted to be a healer. And so, yes, there are problems with our thoughts about this. I had a friend, I tell the story of Brian, who we prayed for. He was in his early 20s. He was diagnosed with melanoma. We prayed and prayed and prayed for him in our church in New Jersey. We prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm telling you, we fasted. We had people around the clock, the church building open. We had 24 hours of prayer for weeks on end of people showing up in the middle of the night to come and pray with worship music on because we were storming heaven, if you wanna think about it like that, saying, God, you've gotta heal him in that same church where we held those long prayer meetings and where people showed up and where people's heart and their faith were poured out is the same place we held his funeral. I don't know why God didn't choose to heal him. I I won't know that here on this earth unless the Holy Spirit tells me. So far he hasn't. But I do know this, many lives were changed as a result of Brian's life and in the moments of his death, in that funeral, people gave their heart to the Lord. So I don't know how to put my, put, wrap my mind around the fact that some get healed and some don't get healed. I don't know, but I'm telling you this. I've seen it myself. I am a miracle myself. My parents will tell you the story. I've shared it before. There were times when I was a kid that I was very sick and hospitalized, and God miraculously healed me from all sorts of ailments and issues. God did it. Amen. Healing is possible. This doesn't, this doesn't mean that you have the gift of healing or can be called a healer. But if you can pray for someone with faith believing that God wants to heal them and trust him with the results, he may choose to heal that person. So we say at the end of our service, in just a moment, we'll have the worship team come. We'll have these two little stations of prayer and we'll say, if you need prayer for anything, come receive prayer. If you've got a sore back, I believe God is better than muscle relaxers, right? If, if you've got a, a sick cat, God can heal that too. I pray for some pretty strange things in my, student, in my Bible classes with my students. I open up in prayer every day and I tell them, there's nothing too silly or too crazy to pray for when it comes to God. We can give those needs to him. So God wants to be present And sometimes he shows himself in a very real way. In Mark chapter six, there's a story about a healing that takes place. Many healings, actually, in Mark chapter six, but there's an interesting part of chapter six, and he says this. It says, now he, talking about Jesus, could not do any mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Healing does come to those who believe, just like salvation comes to those who believe, just like the Holy Spirit comes to those who believe. 
Smith Wigglesworth, which I mentioned earlier, his story can be found in this book, God's Generals. He was known to have said that, I'm not moved but what I, by what I see or hear, but I'm moved by what I believe. And that's what I hint at when I joke earlier about people not reading the Bible enough. Maybe we don't know what to believe, <laughs> right? So we've gotta be people of the word. You can look up stories of a woman named Heidi Baker. She's a missionary in Africa. Many miracles have taken place. They've been documented. Another, David Hogan in Mexico. There's a, a world-famous evangelist who God has used to heal today in our day and age. He has a strange name. It's a German name, Reinhard Bonnke. To this date, I looked up this stat this morning. To this date, more than 78 million people have made a decision of faith in Christ Jesus as a result of his ministry. 78 million people. I looked at the number like four times because I was, I was like, mm, I don't want to misquote this. 78,000, that sounds good. 78 million people have come into the kingdom of God as a result of his ministry. And one of the signs or the earmarks of the ministry is that people leave crutches and wheelchairs behind, that God miraculously heals them just like that. I'm gonna share this last one. And as I do, I'm gonna call the worship team to come and join me. This last one is miracles. What, what a miracle is, is it's divine intervention that alters the natural circumstance so I'll give you the example. Elijah in the Old Testament, there was no rain, then there was rain. It was a miracle from heaven. When we talk about the prophets that were um, there worshiping another God, there was rain that came down and then fire from heaven came down to consume the sacrifice that was there. And it consumed the men who were there. Moses, there were too many of those miracles to, to list, but these things are legitimate acts that have happened. Peter's shadow healed the sick. The Bible says that they laid out the sick in the alleyways and the streets. And after Peter was filled with the Spirit of God, he walked down and his shadow simply crossed over where they were. And it says that they immediately began to spring up and jump up and be healed. It was possible then and it's possible now. Amen. Jesus turned water into wine. That was his first miracle. Don't go home and pray over your faucet, okay? But I'm, but I'm telling you this. Jesus can still do miracles, amen? He still does them today. It's a valid gift. Not everybody has it. These are given by the Holy Spirit to those he chooses. I've told this miracle of provision before, and I'll share it, and then we'll pray. But I'll never forget, my dad was out of a job we were living in a trailer a broke down trailer in an orange grove in florida my brother and i we were babysitting or dog sitting dogs we had adopted some we had 13 dogs in pens on our little space of property really the only exciting thing about our lives and i'll never forget they got hard up for money they lost all their options mom couldn't get a job dad just lost his those days were not the days where you could get thousands of dollars worth of unemployment. And so we just were whittling down the pantry. And I'll never forget on a stormy, rainy night, a car pulling up to our house and backing up, popping
cutting open the trunk. And out of that trunk, this woman had knocked on the door and said the Holy Spirit told her where to come with these groceries. She did not own a dog, at least that's what she told us. And she had bought dozens of pounds of dog food because God even cared about my puppies in that moment. But I'll never forget, I've never seen her since then. My parents didn't know where she came from, but she stood on our porch and she said, I was in the grocery store and the Spirit of God just came all over me. And in my mind, I just knew I had to buy groceries for a family. And I thought, I don't know anybody who's in need. And God said, I'll show you who they are. And she began to drive that country road and pulled into our driveway to our empty pantry that is now full because of this woman being yielded. Now, I don't care what you think. That was a miracle to this little boy. And the fact that she said, I've never bought dog food in my life. And it was the brand they ate. Only God can do such a thing. I've seen him do it. And I know he can do it again. Will you stand with me today? I want to encourage you. God wants to use more of us. And he wants to use more of you. He wants more of you because he wants all of you. And you, here's the, the wrong perception. If you walked out today and you said, yes, I want the gift of healing so I can show it off to all of my friends. That's not what God is going to do. But there are people even in our church that are hurting and could use a touch, a miraculous divine touch from God. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do this week. If you're a believer and if you say, Pastor, I've been praying that the Lord would give me a gift, a spiritual gift like this. This week, you have to practice it. There are other gifts mentioned in scripture like the gift of generosity or the gift of giving. There, there are tons of other things that are mentioned. But when we talk about these spiritual gifts, the only way to know if you've got one is to practice. So when Suzanne comes in just a moment, just saying if she did for prayer for healing I'm going to pray for healing in fact I pray for healing every week in this building I pray for healing before you get here and I lay my hands on you when you're here I keep practicing because I don't know when the Holy Spirit's going to break through I don't want to stand around and twiddle my thumbs and sit as a spectator I want God to use me so maybe that's the challenge today for you but every week in our church, we pray a simple prayer and we just say this, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So would you close your eyes and bow your heads and just whisper that prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this message? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, this sounds great, but I've actually never given my life to Jesus. Or I have, but I've walked away from him and I'm so far away, I don't know what he looks like. But today I want to make the decision to walk back in his direction. If he'll have me back, I want to go in his direction. Slip up your hand right now. If there's anybody here, I want to give you that opportunity today. Having believed that no one raised their hand and in this room, we're going to just say that we are those who are saved. Then I want to pray with you that you will seek the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit not to be weird, not to show off, but that God would demonstrate his power. So Lord, I pray right now that you would bless Celebrate Church, all of its members, its family and friends, that you would bless us with spiritual gifts. Father, we need more of you and we want to
want to see you move in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So God, I pray this week that as we practice the spiritual gifts, Lord, that you would help us to do that. Help us to be moved on by your spirit, not by emotion or human desire alone. But Lord, help us to give all of it to you. For truly, it is you who is charismatic, who is the grace giver, who gives these gifts to us. In Jesus' name. Now, as we worship in this last song, Pastor Grant's going to go to this prayer station. I'll turn off my mic. I'll go to this prayer station. If you need prayer for anything in your life, whatever it is, a job situation, a family situation, finance, healing, spiritual gift, you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me to receive a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. Then we want to pray for you. And at the end of this song, Mandy's going to pray a prayer to close us out, and we're going to leave today, but I want you to leave encouraged, yes, amen, that God is good, and he loves you. Lord, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you would help us to step out in faith today and receive prayer and worship you in this final moment. In Jesus' name.